right, I'm going to be ministering uh, in sort of a teaching mode for a few minutes, talking about the season that we're in, which is the Feast of Tabernacles. Everybody say Tabernacles. Daniel 2.21 says that God changes the times and the seasons. Ecclesiastes says, for everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. God is a God of timing, cycles, and seasons, and he is intentional in his movement. He knows the times in our lives that are important to us, but he also expects us to know, to realize, to comprehend the times that are important to him on God's calendar, and he does have one. He gave the children of Israel a calendar to operate their year by. It was his design. It was his idea. And on his calendar, there are three major appointed times that are important to him. In Leviticus 23, 2, he says to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, these are my appointed festivals the appointed festivals of the Lord, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. Later, he goes on to say, and you shall proclaim them forever. So I'm not preaching this because I want to this morning. I'm preaching this because every minister has been commanded by the scripture to proclaim the festivals of the Lord in their season. You can't be in the season and be a real minister and not proclaim the season. Paul talks about this during Passover. He says, Christ is our Passover lamb. Let us keep the feast. They have to be proclaimed in their season. Now, the word festivals there, it says, speak to the Israelites, say, these are my appointed festivals. The word festivals, or in other translations, they might say feast, is probably one of the worst words that, that King James murdered when he translated the Bible from Hebrew into English. When you think of a festival, you may think of a carnival, or when you think of the word feast, you may think of a buffet and a lot of food. Those are terrible English understandings of what this word is. The word festival or feast there is the Hebrew word mo-a-da. A lot of people mispronounce this. It's mo-a-da. And what it means is, it doesn't mean food, it doesn't mean a carnival, it means an appointed time. And number two, a time God meets his people in a special way. So, in other words, what God is saying to them is there's three times in the year where I'm going to do something special on your calendar. I'm going to do something special in the earth and in your times. Those three times are Passover, that's in the spring. Pentecost, 50 days after Passover, toward the beginning of summer, and then tabernacles in the fall of the year. Now, pay attention to this. When the feasts of God, the festivals of God, were first announced, they were given by God as prophetic anchor points of God's redemptive activity in the earth. Now, I want you to read that on the screen and think about those words, because that's powerful. You need that revelation. When God first announced the feasts and the times they were supposed to be celebrated, he was essentially saying, mark your calendar, 
because I'm going to do some redemptive work in the earth. Satan brought a curse. Adam and Eve fell into it. And the whole of humanity has been stained and has been wounded by this curse and by this fall. But I'm going to reverse the curse and bring blessing. And I'm going to do it in these segments of time during your calendar. So... He's telling his people, Israel, he said, I just want you to watch your calendar. And every year during these seasons, during these days, during these times, that's when you can watch for my redemptive work in the earth. All right. So we have Passover, number one. Remember, it's prophetic. Passover is prophetic. Number one, That's the first feast of the year. Passover is God saying through a system, through a set of days, through ordinances, through commandments, he's saying, I'm going to save you. Passover speaks prophetically, the Lord saves. Everybody say it. Passover means the Lord saves. Now, every feast is a prophecy. So the prophecy of the Passover was the blood of the lamb will save you. Okay. The blood of the lamb will save you. So you remember in Exodus, the first Passover, Moses tell the people, kill a lamb, put the blood on the doorpost and the lintel. Death angel is going to pass over. Whoever's got the blood on the door of their house is going to be saved. That was reality happening for them in that moment. But it was also prophetic speaking of another lamb that would come in the future that his blood applied to the door of our life would save our souls from sin and the curse of destruction that comes with it. So every lamb that died the night of that first Passover was just pointing. It was a billboard. It was a sign of what was coming. Now, the lambs died in Egypt in 1451 BC before Christ. That means that prophecy, I'm going to save you. There's something about this season and this time, this date, and there's something about these lambs and this blood, and I'm going to use my redemptive work in the earth during this time. That prophecy set in the earth for 1,451 years unfulfilled until John the Baptist looked at Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and Jesus Christ was arrested, taken to the judgment hall, beaten, and then on the morning of the Passover, at the same time and same day, literally 1,451 years in the past, from the past to the future, on the same hour those lambs were killed in Egypt, Jesus Christ died on the cross during the Passover. And God was saying, now the prophecy is fulfilled and complete. I will save you. Right. Number two, the second feast of the year, Pentecost. Pentecost is the prophecy the Lord fills. I'm not just going to save you. I'm going to fill you. So let's go back to Exodus. The first time it's mentioned, uh, the Passover takes place and the children of Israel go across the Red Sea. And 50 days after the blood was applied, 50 days after the lamb was killed, 50 days after the Passover, God came down on Mount Sinai and he filled the people with his law, with his 
truth. He gave them the Ten Commandments. Okay, I don't know why some of you are looking at me like this. This is all in your Bible. You just got to read it. So 50 days after Passover, that's why it's called Pentecost, not because they were shouting and jumping and speaking in tongues. Pente means 50, cost means days, 50 days, Pentecost, 50 days after Passover, 50 days after the Passover, God comes down, fills the people with his law, his truth. Fast forward to the New Testament. You're talking about 451 years, that prophecy, I'm going to fill you. That's just been sitting in the earth. And 50 days after Jesus died on the cross, 120 believers were gathered in the upper room. In Acts chapter 2, they heard a sound like a rushing mighty wind. Cloven tongues of fire fell, and God filled them with the spirit of truth. Old Testament, it was the law of truth written on tablets of stone. New Testament, it was the spirit of truth, the Holy Ghost, written on the tablets of their heart. Pentecost says, I will fill you. Then finally, the third feast of the year is tabernacles. Tabernacles speaks to us prophetically, the Lord returns. Okay? Now, a lot of people, I've noticed this, I've been in church a lot. Let's just leave it at that. A lot. A lot of people shout and dance and have their faith filled up over what God did during Passover, which was Jesus died for your sins to forgive you and free you. That's an amazing thing. People get excited about that. A lot of people, especially in my circle, shout about the Holy Ghost and the ability to be filled with the Spirit of God. That's amazing. And, and the things that come with it, being filled with the Spirit means being filled with the gifts, being filled with all of the anointing and the strength that comes from the Spirit of God. That's something to shout about. But we, we don't really shout that much about the third redemptive promise of God, which is, I'm going to come back for you. I mean, everybody wants to go to heaven, just not today. You know, so, so there's like supercharged grip to our faith concerning salvation. You're going to save my soul and forgive me all my sins and take away my guilt. Glory! And there's supercharged faith about being filled, having the Spirit of God but there seems to be a disconnect about his third promise, which was, I'm going to return. I'm going to come get you so that ultimately you and I can be back together. Well, we don't shout about the scriptures that tell us this world is not our home. And the, re the reason is we've fallen more, in many cases, we've fallen more in love with this world than we are with our God. We take in the culture and get drunk on the culture of this world more than we drink the new wine of the Holy Spirit. And, and, so, and so God says, ultimately, the plan is I've prepared a place for you. I've prepared a home for you. I've prepared a destination for you. And I want you to watch and I want you to maintain readiness in your mind because one day I'm going to come back. I'm going to return and I'm going to come get you. And see, it's that third, it's that third element. It's that third element, the return of God. 
As long as you're only dealing with salvation and the spirit, you're only dealing with spiritual things, somewhat mystical and mysterious in nature. But when you talk about the return of God, that's God invading your physical, natural reality. And we kind of hinder away from that a little bit. So this third festival season, feast season, tabernacles, it's a season of 21 days. And it's one feast season with three components attached. So it's three in one, okay? One feast season, tabernacles, and then three individual components. Let's look at the components. Number one, you have trumpets, or what we celebrated a couple of days ago, Rosh Hashanah. In English, that's trumpets. It's the head of the year, the beginning of the new year, and it's, uh, it's always announced by, Bishop showed you the video, the blowing of a trumpet. Then number two, you got Yom Kippur, or in English, the Day of Atonement. And then you've got the namesake of the Feast Tabernacles, which is the ingathering, the gathering together. Now, in the Old Testament, this feast season began with the loud blast of a trumpet. Now, remember, all of these feasts, they started in the Old Testament and prophesied something that was going to be made reality in the New Testament by the redemptive work of God. These feasts are prophetic. They allow believers, people that know the word of God, to trace God's divine movement through the year. And as a result, you must understand as a believer that tabernacles as a feast is the only festival of God that has not been fulfilled. The prophecy still hanging out there. God said, I'm going to save you. Passover. 1,451 years. God said, I'm going to fill you. 1,451 years, that prophecy hung out there. God says, I'm going to return for you. And since he gave that prophecy, that prophecy still hanging out there because he hasn't returned yet. The gate of grace is still open. That's good news for somebody this morning. Somebody needs to take advantage that the gate of grace is still open. Somebody needs to stop living like you lost your mind and take advantage of the fact that the gate of grace is still open. One day it will close. If you don't handle your business and do your work while it is day, when the night comes, one day that gate will be closed. But it's not closed as of 1118 this Sunday morning. The gate of grace is still open. I don't know how much longer it'll be open. You need to get things right with God. You need to put things in order. You need to put things in the sections of life where they should be and stop living outside of the lines of the will of God that he prescribed in his word. The gate is still open. Now, the festival of trumpets prophesies the rapture of the church. When's the last time you just sat down and thought a whole lot about the rapture? You know, these things are kind of distant from our minds. But, you know, in 2020, if you hadn't thought about the rapture at least once, Lord Jesus, seeing all of the things that are happening, not just nationally, but all the things that are happening in our entire world, 
we ought to, as believers, be waking up to the fact that, hey, all of these things have been prophesied. And he said, when you see these things, turn your eyes to the sky and wait and watch because you know I'm coming back soon. Signs of the times. So look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 16. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 16. And I wanted to remind you, this is still in your Bible. He's, Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning those who have fallen asleep. What he means by that is those who have died in the faith. I don't want you to be ignorant uh, concerning those who have fallen asleep. You ought to always use that terminology when you're talking about dead loved ones that you know died in the faith. They've not really died. They've simply fallen asleep. What, what's the implication of falling asleep? If they died in the faith, they will wake back up again. They will wake back up again. That's what Jesus always said about somebody he was going to heal. They, they said, oh, they're dead, Lord. He said, no, they're asleep. No, they were dead, but Jesus knew they were about to live again. He said it about Tabitha. He said it about Lazarus. They're going to get back up again. So he didn't say dead. He said falling asleep. Use that terminology when you lose someone. It'll kind of change the thing in your mind. You need to remember if you've lost someone and you love them and your heart is still breaking, remember this deep in your soul. If they died in Jesus, you are sure to see them again. And you'll see them again like they were. You'll be able to recognize them. You'll be able to hold them again, kiss them again, hug them again, touch them again, talk to them again. They'll remember the banana pudding and all the cookouts. They'll remember all the funny things that you used to do together. You will see them again. Push somebody and say you're going to see them again. He said, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning those who have fallen asleep. Unless, you, you know, if you're ignorant of it, you will sorrow as others who have no hope. That's not our case. We're not those that have no hope. We know we're going to see them again. Next verse. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, hallelujah, feel the anointing. I'm going to try to keep teaching this class, but I just felt a surge go all the way through from my spirit. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Verse 15, verse 15, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that means it's sure, it's a promise, that we who are alive and remain until the coming, that's the second coming, the return of the Lord, will by no means precede those who are asleep. Next verse. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel. Here's a clue. And with the... And with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ, they're going to rise first. Next verse. Next verse. And we who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet him in the air. So atonement, let, let's look at it. Trumpets prophesize rapture is coming. Okay? Rapture is coming. One day in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, Jesus is going to return. Those believers who are alive and remain on the earth will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Those who are dead in Christ will get out of the grave. 
no matter if they were cremated, no matter what happened to their body, whatever remains there are, even if they're just particles of dust or ashes, they will be supernaturally reconstituted into the person you knew before, glorified and anointed by God, and they'll rise first, and then all of us, we go up to. All of us assuming we're going to be here when it takes place, which I believe we will. So that's trumpets, trumpets. Second component of the feast is atonement. Atonement prophesies the day we finally, I got to get this to people. The day we finally get to see Jesus face to face. We don't talk about that enough anymore. One day, the God you've been worshiping in your church, one day, the God you've been praying to, one day, the Jesus you've been thinking about on the cross that died for your sins, one day, his goal is to see you face to face, atonement or at one meant where two who have been separated by time and space are finally brought back together in the same spot at one minute. So that's the feast, that's the festival, the component of atonement. And then finally, tabernacles, which is the namesake of the feast. Really, it means in gathering. And this prophesies the gathering together of all believers in heaven. I don't think, no, no. I'm talking about the moment when every person who's been saved by God is brought together in that vast auditorium in heaven, seated around the throne of God. And you're standing there with your mama and your grandmother and your great grandmother and Paul Paul and Uncle Jim and Uncle Joe and cousin Millie. And then you look over and there's David, the psalmist, and there's Moses and there's Elijah. And, and, then, and then you look over and there's Paul and there's Peter. And then you look over and there's Adam and Eve and you go up and you slap both of them because they got us all in this. I'm talking about the moment where God, the father, finally gathers all of his children together, past, present, future. Everybody that's ever going to be saved, everybody that is saved, everybody that was saved, all to in gathering. So, as you can see, this is still a prophecy waiting over our heads. Why? Because the trumpet of God has not blasted yet. Okay? The rapture hasn't taken place. The atonement hasn't happened yet. You ain't seen Jesus face to face. I know you ate a bunch of beans one night and you had that dream and you saw Jesus and he looked white with blue eyes, which he ain't. Okay. And blonde hair, which he doesn't have. Okay. <laughs> Another subject. But, but you ain't seen Jesus face to face. So there's not been a true at-one-ment atonement, right? And then we're not all in heaven yet with all the saints of old and, and all of our family. So this festival of God, it's like the, the sand is running out of the hourglass. The time is getting short, but it's still a future prophetic event. Now, question. 
When will the Lord Jesus return? Well, we read it in our text in Matthew. What did Jesus say about it? He said, no man knows the day or the hour, but we do know the season. That bothers some of you. Let me prove it to you. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 4. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 4. Paul writes, but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. Verse 2. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Next verse. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Verse 4. But you, brethren, are not in darkness so that this, look at that, day should overtake you as a thief. In other words, he says, for most people, God's return, the second coming of Jesus, he's coming like a thief in the night. They won't know. They won't expect it. They won't see it coming. He said, but you, well, you're not in the darkness of ignorance. You're in the light. What is he saying? He's saying, if you have the scripture, you can look into it and you can see not the day or the hour, but the season or the feast. The, the final work of God's redemptive process. And when I say redemptive, I'm not talking about salvation because he handled all of the work of salvation on the cross. But the goal of salvation wasn't just to forgive your sins so you could die fat and happy. The goal of salvation was to secure you back to himself ultimately in heaven. All right. So that piece of the redemptive work hasn't been fulfilled yet, but it is coming. So the scripture urges believers to watch for his coming especially during this season. And every one of you, every time we get to this time of year, every one of you should set your mind on the fact this might be the year Jesus comes back. Now I can tell by your expression you're not entirely comfortable with that, so I'm going to make you say it. Just put your hand on your heart and say, this might be the year Jesus comes back. Are you ready? Now, some are lying and, cl and clapping, and some are being honest and kind of looking real sober. It's a sobering thought. It's supposed to be. Are you ready, or is your work undone? Are you ready for the return of Jesus? We're supposed to be watching, and we're not the only ones watching. The devil knows the Bible better than you do. He knows the return of Christ is imminent, and he knows the season of his return. As a result, if you track history and you track the calendar, the greatest times of turbulent demonic activity happened to the earth during the 21-day Feast of Tabernacles. More earthquakes, more tornadoes, more hurricanes, more wildfires, more murders than any other time of the year, more suicides than any other time of the year, 
Go back and research your history. More wars and military conflicts have broken out during this 21-day period from the end of August into the mid-September than at any other time in history. Why? The enemy knows the season of the Lord's return is tabernacles, and he knows this might be the year. So every year he attacks to distract. Somebody's been attacked recently, and I want to tell you why you've been attacked. You've been attacked to distract you from the sanctity of the season. You've been attacked in your mind, your emotions, your mental health. You've been attacked in your finances, little annoying attacks in your health, setbacks in things that you were trying to establish for yourself. I want to tell you why the attack came. If if you've gone through a legitimate attack in the last seven days, raise your hand. If it was a person that attacked you or, or a health condition or a financial problem, if you faced any level of attack, raise your hand. Let me tell you, according to the word of God, why it came. It came to distract you from what God is doing in the earth and from what he wants to do in your life. The attack is nothing but a distraction. The threat is nothing but a distraction. That letter is nothing but a distraction. That thing they're saying they found in your body is nothing but a distraction. The enemy attacks you so that he might distract you. He sets a fire to distract you. He sets something off in your life going crazy to distract you. The purpose for it, that thing you just went through, the purpose for it was to distract you. And so, and so, before the feast, every year God would send his people a commandment. He said, go into 10 days of awe. Now, during the 10 days of all, the people were commanded to repent. Oh, that's a shouting word. Always gets the church real toasty. (laughs) Repent and reflect. Repent of your sins. Things you know that are wrong, that are barriers between you you and God. Repent of it. It's a grace that we have the ability to repent. Repent of it. And then number two, reflect on your faith. Reflect on what is my faith shouting to me at this season in this time. And according to the word of God and according to God's calendar, your faith should be shouting to you in this season at this time. The Lord's coming back for me. I belong to him. No matter what happens in this world, this world is not my ultimate destination. Life is but a vapor here today and gone tomorrow. But I don't have to fear death. Oh, hallelujah. I don't have to fear death. Oh, hallelujah. I don't have to fear my life being taken because to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. I'm going to see all my loved ones again because to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord and whoever's present with the Lord, I'll see them again. What's my faith supposed to be shouting to me now? So 
Passover, your faith's supposed to be shouting to you. You're saved by the blood, not by good works, lest any man should boast. Jesus died on Calvary's cross for your sins so you could be forgiven and accepted by him. What's your faith supposed to be shouting to you during Pentecost? I need to be filled every day fresh again with the Holy Spirit of God, the peace of God, the strength of God that comes from his Holy Spirit. What should your faith be shouting to you during tabernacles? He's coming back for me. He's coming back. He's coming back for me. I know he's coming back. This might be the year he comes back for me. And it's important that we announce those things to ourselves. It's important that we, especially during the feast seasons, all three of them, that we repent and reflect. Repentance is something a Christian will need to do probably at least every day of their life, if not multiple times a day. And yet we resist it and we don't do it. You commit sins all the time. Don't even think about it and don't repent. You need to repent. Jesus gave us that gift because of the cross that when we do something wrong on purpose, we can go to him and have an advocate with the father and we can repent. So where we are right now, okay, this season, we, we're, we're being called by the word of God to repent, to reflect, and to set our eyes on the truth that he's coming back for us. Now, this feast is unlike the other two in one specific sense. Because the other two have been fulfilled, they're fulfilled. What's done is done. You can't redo the cross. And you can't redo the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell. Okay. So there's nothing leading up to it. It's an event that has happened in time and has been sealed in eternity. But because this event has not happened yet, every year during tabernacles, God makes a promise to his people. This ain't my word. I want you to key in real quick because I'm almost done. But if you missed this, you missed it. This ain't my word. This is God's word. I'm going to show it to you in a minute. Every year during tabernacle season, God gives a scriptural guarantee about your life. Either he will return. If for some reason, according to his divine will, he delays his return, then he will release seven blessings on his people that are watching, waiting and preparing for his return. That's a biblical guarantee. Every tabernacle season, there will either be a rapture or a release. Say it with me. Every tabernacles, there's either a rapture or a release. Let's prove that. If you go to Joel chapter 2, verse 15, we know they're talking about the Feast of Tabernacles because he says, blow the trumpet in Zion. That's the Feast of Trumpets. He said, declare a holy fast. And then call a sacred assembly. That's talking about uh, atonement and tabernacles. And then the seven blessings are promised by God. I'm either going to return to get you or I'm going to give you these seven things. 
Every person in the building this morning is eligible for these seven things. I exit the teaching anointing now and I step into the prophetic as I speak these things from the word of God over your life and over your spirit that you will see manifest in your life. Number one, a double portion anointing. Joel 2, 23, he said, be glad people of Zion rejoice in the Lord, your God, for he has given you the autumn rains because he is faithful and he sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains in the same month. In other words, the autumn rains brought the harvest. That's the significance of the text. They had sowed in their fields. Autumn rains brought harvest of grain. All right. The second rains of the year, the spring rains brought the harvest of grain. Those were the two primary harvest seasons. And so what people prayed for when they prayed for rain was really they were praying for an increase of their harvest. Normally, one of the two would be good. If you're a farmer, you would understand that some rainy seasons are just okay. And then some are great. Rarely do you have two good ones in one year. God said, I'm going to give you the former rain and the latter rain, the autumn rain and the spring rain in the same year. I'm going to give you double. I speak over your life in the name of Jesus, double on your returns, double on your investments, Double on your harvest. I'm not going to push this. You'll have to pull it. Double on your harvest. Double on your harvest. Whatever you've sowed, whatever you've planted, whatever you poured into, whatever you invested into, whatever time you invested into that thing, whatever resources you invested into that thing, the word of the Lord says double will come on your harvest in the name of Jesus. Number two financial abundance or overflow. He said the threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. Everybody shout oil. The threshing floor represented their bank accounts. It was their storehouses. It was the thing they used to trade and exchange. I speak over your storehouses. I speak over your accounts. Where your account has been lacking and where your account has been empty, where there's been times this year where there's been insufficient funds, you will overflow. It's one of the blessings of this season to the people of God who observe the feast. I release financial overflow and increase over your life in the name of Jesus. Somebody give God a praise for that. <laughs> financial abundance. Financial abundance. Ruthie, God is going to bless your finances in a strange and creative way. I just speak that over your life right now in the name of Jesus. I don't know who it's for, but unexpected checks in the mail, money that was owed to you, you didn't even know how much they owed you, just coming in this season. I'm not talking about some distant time in the future. I'm talking about during this season. Why are you saying this, Pastor? Because the Word of God said it. If you can read the Word of God, it's a promise to people during this season. Financial increase and overflow will come and hit your life. Anthony Owens, unexpected increase. Something you weren't even wanting to increase is going to increase in this season. Somebody shout, increase is coming. Increase is coming. In fact, push three people, wake them up and say, increase is coming. <laughs> <laughs> 
Increase is coming. Increase is coming. Increase is coming. Ah, hallelujah. Increase is coming. Glory to God. Increase is coming. After a year of decrease, after a year of decline, after a year of things struggling, God said increase. God said it's a new season, number one, and increase is coming. It's coming. It's coming. Number three, restoration. Joel 2.25. Joel 2.25. I will repay. Oh, hallelujah. I have to shout to yourself, Jason. I will repay you. Stand up. Yeah. Lift your hands up. Never done this for you before. I do it for you now. The word of the Lord says to you, in the name of Jesus, I will repay you for the years that the locusts destroyed, for the years that the troubles of life destroyed. Go up there, Pastor John. For the years that the troubles of life, for the years that even at times your own mistakes and failures, for the years you lost. One of the things the enemy's been trying to tell you is that the years that you lost were too much for you to recover. But the word of the Lord to you is, I will repay you for the years that the locust have eaten. I will repay you for what you lost during your trouble. I will repay you, says the Lord. In other words, listen to me, everybody. If you lost something, it's not going to stay lost. God said, I will, oh, hallelujah, I will repay. Somebody ought to get excited about that. I said, if you lost something this year, it's not going to get stay lost. It's not going to stay lost. I will repay you. What's locust? Maybe, maybe it's all that credit card debt. Maybe it's all that high interest you've been paying. Okay. Maybe it was opportunities people cheated you out of. Maybe it was those three months this year you couldn't work because they closed your place of business. Whatever it was that you lost, God says to you in this season and in this time, I will repay you. Ooh, that's good. Ooh, that's good. Joshua Jackson, a divine repayment. A divine repayment for you and someone in your family. And they're getting it this morning because you're here. A divine repayment coming upon your life. A divine Everybody shout payback. No, shout it with faith. Shout payback. Number four, he promises miracles in this season. He said, you'll have plenty to eat till you're full. You'll praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders. That word wonders that's underlined in the Hebrew is literally translated miracles. Creative, unique miracles. 
This is the only season of the year that the Word of God promised specifically miracles. There will be miracles. There will be miracles. Now, you don't need this if you got a problem man can fix. But if you're currently dealing with a situation man cannot fix, you better grab this promise in your faith. Because a miracle is when man has done everything he can do and can't change it, God steps in in this season and does what only God can do. There will be miracles. 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 Number five, Joel 2.27. I'm, just, I'm not giving you a prophetic word from my spirit, folks. I'm just reading the, the word. He said, I'm going to manifest my presence. Then you will know that I am in Israel. I am the Lord your God and that there is no other. And you're not going to be ashamed. But, but what he was saying is, and that's a really poor translation. He said, you're going to know that I'm in Israel because I'm going to manifest myself. You're going to see me like you haven't seen me, feel me like you haven't felt me, experience me like you haven't experienced me. And those of us that have been in the church for a long time, we can go back in our mind and in our memory to certain times where God's presence manifested. And sometimes you'll see people walking around 30 years later talking about, I was in this service one Sunday night or one Wednesday night or one day. I was in this service and I felt the presence of God like I've never felt it before. And oh, I wish I could go back to that. During this season, God allows you by faith to lay hold on that kind of experience and on that kind of promise. He said, I'm going to manifest my presence among you. I got to hurry. Number six, God will visit your children. God will visit your children. You know, whether they're, whether they're three years old or 30 years old, your children. God will visit your children and put his word in their mouth. He said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. What is prophesy? It's when God puts his word in your mouth. He's literally saying there, I'm going to come visit your children. Melissa Montgomery, that's for you. I'm going to come visit your children. And I'm going to put my word, my word, my word in their mouth. I'm going to use your children to speak. I'm going to use your children to say something to the family that's from me, to their friends that's from me, to their community that's from me. I'm going to put my word in their, in their mouths. And then he says about your, your children, he says there's going, to be, there's going to be visions. But then he also includes a promise for your parents, those of you that have parents that are still living. He said in your parents, I'm going to let them dream again. I'm going to bring the dream back to your parents. 
They're going to see things in their dream and wake up more inspired than they've been in 20 years. I'm going to let your parents have a dream again. To all the people that have been watching your parents walk around with pain in their eyes because they feel like their better days are behind them, God's promise to you is no. I'm going to let your parents wake up with a dream again. Somebody give God praise right there. I feel that thing. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, thank you for your feast. Oh, I worship you, Jesus. Oh. Number seven. Deliverance. For everybody that's been in a long cycle of dealing with vices, okay? Vices. You know, something that you initially reached out and, and grabbed and, and then ever since has had a grab on you, okay? You know, you, you weren't intended to be, you know, an addict, but you reached out and grabbed that thing. And ever since, you want to stop, but, but it's got a grip on you, okay? Your family is always on you trying to get you to stop. And, and the truth is, you agree with them, but it's got, a, it's got a grip on you. That's what vices do. That's why it's called a vice. You understand what I'm saying? And in some cases, it takes the Lord's deliverance. Hallelujah. It takes the Holy Spirit's deliverance in order to break the thing. If you need deliverance for something, you're not a bad person because you got a vice. Okay. The blood of Jesus. Jesus knew every sin that would ever be committed by you and saw you on Calvary's cross and chose to die for you anyway. The blood of Jesus covers you. God loves you. But if you got a vice, you need to begin to seek the Lord, especially during this season, for deliverance. And you can, by faith, lay hold of this promise. D deliverance, miraculous, just, just deliverance. Just deliverance. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Pastor David, bring Mama here for a second. Hi, Mama. I know you're Sean's mama, but I've never had the privilege of talking to you very much. The Lord bless you today. In deep places, the Lord flood your heart and your soul and your mind with his goodness. The Lord heal you and strengthen your physical body. The Lord clear any arteries that are blocked. The Lord free up any places that are being hindered or restricted. The Lord your God bless you today. The Lord your God restore you today for this season of your life. The Lord your God go before you and begin to make crooked places straight. And the Lord your God surround you with favor like a shield. Favor with God and people. Favor with God and people. In the name of Jesus we pray. In the name of Jesus, we pray. All right. Seven things, right? Seven things. God promised he's going to do. Every year he delays his coming. Seven things he promised he was going to do. And then told us every year, you got to watch, expect, and get excited, and pull on the reality of either the rapture or these seven things going to come in my life. 
Everybody say, either rapture or release. Either the rapture or the release of these seven promises. You need to know about them. You need to confess them. You need to believe for them. You need to go home and watch this message again and get all this good teaching. So you can expect and engage your faith and watch for them. Now, as I close, back to Matthew 25, 1 through 13. I'll ask you some questions. You remember the text about the five wise virgins and five foolish? You got ten virgins representing the church, the whole bride of Christ without blemish. Okay? They were selected and elected to be in the bridal party. They were called and chosen. They all had lamps and they all started off with flames. How do I know that? Because the text says when they woke up and they ran and they said the bridegroom's coming and they all woke up, they started screaming to the wise virgins. The foolish started screaming to the wise, hey, our lamps burn out. Lamp wouldn't have burned out if it didn't start. All had lamps. All started with enough oil in the lamp to make a flame. Fuel for the flame. But the wise virgins took along a little extra oil. Understanding the possibility that the bridegroom might delay his coming. Now, when you hear this text preached, you will most likely, if you don't hear it from me, you'll most likely hear it murdered. Because some preachers, they, they, they talk about the fact that they all went to sleep. Well, here's the thing. They all went to sleep. And they try to demonize sleep in the text when the, the five wise ones went to sleep. Can't live very long without sleep. And then you'll have people postulate on what the oil represents. And that's what I want to ask you to think about for a minute. Don't shout out your answers because if you say it publicly, I'll correct it publicly. <laughs> I want you to think about it. What, Jesus is telling this parable, what does the oil in the text represent? Now, I heard some, somebody preach. It represents the Holy Spirit. Don't that sound good? Problem is, people don't read their Bible. The problem is when the unwise virgins, the foolish virgins, woke up and realized they were out of oil, they went to the wise ones and they said, can we have some of yours? And they said, no, you can't get the Holy Spirit from another person. Number two, the wise virgin said, go to the marketplace and buy it. And you can't buy. Y'all tired. So. so what's the oil represent? What's it represent? It's important because it's the fact that one group ran out of it. And the other group had more extra on hand. And that ended up being the deciding factor on whether they got in or not. 
What's it represent? Now, I want you to think about this. I would like to submit to you, if I was writing a commentary, I'd give my opinion on what actual thing it represents. But, but let me just submit this to you. I'd like to submit this to you. The oil is whatever it takes to keep your flame burning. See, everybody that legitimately starts out in the faith, if you had a real experience with God, if you really got saved, when you really got saved, there was a flame. Some of you remember it like it was yesterday. You remember that feeling, the burning on the inside. Your heart was up over, upended in its chest. You felt God's presence. You felt God close. You felt the desire for the things of God. You couldn't get enough of God. You couldn't get enough word and enough worship and enough church because your soul was burning. And every time the preacher would preach, it felt like he was talking just to you. And you would sit there in church and tears would stream down your face because your soul was burning. But somewhere over the course of your journey that started legitimately with a real flame, somewhere while the master delayed his coming, somewhere and somehow your lamp went dark. And you're still coming to church with a dark lamp and you're still getting up and going through the motions with a dark lamp coming here look at me every Sunday with dead eyes no fire on the inside got a dark lamp and the hope is that you would go and remedy the problem before the bridegroom comes in the text this was a problem that the five foolish virgins could have gone and fixed themselves. Notice the onus on maintaining your own fuel is your responsibility, not God's. God promised to light your fire, but he never said he would go and get your fuel for you. So, so, what was the oil? It's whatever it takes to keep your fire burning. And the only business, oh yeah, that's your business is your fire. How do I know that? Because when they went to the others and started talking about their oil, answer was no. You got to handle this for yourself because your fire is your responsibility and they let their flame go out now it's not damning it's not like all is lost because your flame goes out it's not damning except if it goes out right before the return because then what could normally be fixed if there was time now there's no time the door is closed 
And they came and knocked on the door. Hey, we've been invited to this feast. We've been invited to this wedding. And he says those cold, sobering words that you forgot Jesus said. Because you've heard Jesus preach so kind and so loving and so full of grace, it almost seems like he'd take anything. No, he said, oh, I don't, I don't know you. If you were really mine, you would have done whatever you had to do to keep your fire. Why did the fire go out in the first place? Well, let's put this one back on him. He has taken a long time. He has delayed his coming. But he's delaying it to give more people the opportunity to be saved and avoid hell. But by him blessing them, he is straining us because we have the sole responsibility of making sure we don't let our fire go out. So what is it to you? What's the thing that keeps your spiritual fire burning? Really, the reason I didn't answer what I think the real thing is, I didn't answer it for you, is because really I think it's so personal. Your oil is your oil. Some people, no matter what's going on in their life, they meet Pastor Jeff every time there's food pantry. And they go home with sore backs and tired hands, packing food for people that need it. And you know why they do it? Because it keeps their fire burning. Some people sing up here. And they're not doing it for your applause or your accolades. The truth is there are a lot of services they'd rather be out there than up here. But they do it because it keeps their fire burning. Some people give. They've been given the grace and the gift of giving. And they love that sensation of giving a seed to God and then seeing him bring it into harvest. They love supporting the things of God and knowing that, hey, that ministry happened today partly because of me. I helped fund and pay for what went on in that house today. It keeps their, their fire burning. Some people... Very few people never miss the start of a service because it's the worship. It's lifting hands and singing to God with other people. It keeps their 
some people sit out here mad all service until I get up and start preaching the word because preaching the word for you, that's the thing that keeps your fire burning. Some people are mad if, if you don't get a prophetic word or you don't get hands laid on you because that's something that for you, it just, it just ignites your fire. But whatever it is for you, You've got to make sure you go and pursue the thing that keeps your fire burning. The foolish virgins went out with what little residue they had from the first lighting of the fire. God lit your fire first at salvation. Some of you ain't been lit since. And you got to find the thing that keeps your fire burning. Submit one last thing to you. I, and I've studied it out, but I do not have time to prove it. I hope I've proved enough to you biblically for you to trust me. Last thing. I strongly believe that five of these foolish virgins didn't observe or celebrate the feasts of the Lord. Because one of the promises to people who observe and celebrate the feast of the Lord, do you remember? It's oil. He promised it. I believe, I believe, if you as a Christian celebrate each of the three feasts of the Lord, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles, I believe every time you celebrate the feast, you get filled with more oil for your fire. Just believe it. I just believe it. I believe five of the foolish ones did not observe tabernacles. Now, you're too tired right now. I've been preaching too long for you to know how good that is. Five of them didn't observe the feast. Five of them did. And they had enough on the inside to last them until the bridegroom came. Stand to your feet. Give the Lord a praise. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Now, listen. Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. Whatever you got to do to keep your fire burning, keep your fire burning. All you have to, all you have to do to, to access the strength of those seven promises manifesting in your life the observance of the feast is very simple. Number one, just think about it. Just recognize that it's time, you know? Then he said, I, I, I want everyone to appear before me. In other words, go to church during the feast specifically. You go, should go to church all the time, but specifically go to church during the feast. Well, all of you have done that today. He said, go to church during the feast. And then number three, he said, just bring me a special offering. It's one of only three commanded offerings in the scripture. Now we take our offerings every week. We do the tithe in the beginning of the service and we give you a chance to sow a seed or give an offering at the end. But those aren't, you know, tithe is commanded, but offerings are not commanded. You can give whatever you want. Bible doesn't say anything about it, but except these three times a year, God commands his people to observe the feast by giving a special offering to everyone who does those things. Think about it. Show up in church and praise God. Give a special offering. 
seven blessings. He said, I'll release those seven blessings into your life. Lift up your hands. I want to give them to you one more time. A double portion. Say, I receive it. Financial abundance. Restoration. Miracles. God's manifested presence. God will visit your children and put his word in their mouths and deliverance. Now listen, I want everyone here. I want everyone here. There's no commanded amount that you have to give, but I want everyone here to get an envelope. We're going to do what the scripture says. We're going to come before the Lord during the feast with a special offering. So everyone in here, get you an envelope. Get you an envelope. Now, my family and... Uh, you know, a lot of us here in the church, a lot of our leaders during these special times, during the tabernacles, you know, my family's giving $100. You may want to join us in that. Some families will give $50. You may want to join in that. I'm not going to tell you a specific amount to give. The important thing is that it's a sacrifice to you. The important thing, whatever has, hey, come here. Whatever has been going on in your health, we speak an end to it right now. We speak divine health over you in the name of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name. I just, listen, I just want to encourage you. I just want to encourage you to participate in this. It's so supernatural the way it works. It's so just a God thing the way it works. The way it works. Uh, hey, stay there for a minute. Stay there for a minute because I want to pray with Kim. It's just so supernatural how it works. You know, you just listen and hear the word preached, the promises made. You receive them. You do what the word says. And this thing is just released in your life.
visit the second time. Carl, the Lord bless you in your mind, in your body, in your health. May your health and your strength be renewed like the eagle. In your future, in your assignments, your circle, your relationships, may you be blessed and favored of God. May the heaviness that's haunted you fall off you. In the no, oh, let it fall off now, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. I feel him doing it now, Carl, in the name of Jesus. Let it fall off of you. Let it fall off of you. Oh, let it fall off. your God bless you. May the Lord your God keep you. May the Lord your God lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. As you repent and reflect on him, on his season, on his promises, on what he's made available to you. May you be filled with the goodness of God and may the strength of God follow you. The grace and goodness of God follow you in the name of Jesus Christ. Be blessed today, Christian world. We love you. Oh, I want more.